you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And I seriously, I probably say this way too much, and somebody's going to hold this against me if this gets uh, if this gets going more than I think. But I'm going to be a good steward of your time tonight. Uh, but but I want to talk about great faith. Everybody say great faith. Great faith. Come on, you got to say it better than that. Great faith. great faith. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. Be excited. It's almost summer. All right, that's what I want to hear. Matthew chapter 8, a familiar story, verses 5 through 13, and we're going to read through and examine and look at this familiar story and then sort of talk about the ways that we can have great faith. I don't know about you, but when I think about faith, I don't want to have puny faith. I don't want to have no faith. I don't want to be one of those, oh ye of little faith. I want to have what? Great faith. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's look at this story. Matthew 8 chapter. Matthew chapter 8, starting with verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And so Jesus said to him, I'll come and heal him. But then in verse 8, notice, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. All you have to do is speak or say a word, and my servant will be healed. For I'm a man who is also under authority. I have soldiers who are under me, and I can say to this one to go, and he will what? Go. And I can say to this one to come here, and he'll what? He'll come here. He, he, I say, do this, and he, he does it. And so when Jesus heard this, he marveled. This means that Jesus was astounded. Jesus was almost speechless. He was like, whoa, I wasn't expecting this. And this is Jesus who kind of knew what was going on, right? And he said to all those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many are going to come from east and they're going to come from the west and they'll sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom of this earth will be cast out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so Jesus said to the centurion, go your way and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed in that same what? Not the same month or year or decade, right? In the same hour. So let's talk about what this centurion had and how we can sort of compare ourselves to the centurion. Because again, I don't know about you, but in order for me to get through this life, I can't just have little faith. I have to have what? Great faith. I'm going to keep asking. Y'all get, getting comfortable on me too already. I'm, I can tell. But I want you to understand, everybody does have a measure of faith. Are y'all with me? Across this room, everybody, the Word says that everybody has a measure of faith. Now, the, the, the problem is that sometimes that measure of faith isn't a lot. There's some where literally Jesus sort of talked about them having no faith. Y'all remember the story? Can I tag to another story real quick? Y'all remember when Jesus was on the boat? We like to preach that one a lot. And, and, and the storm came upon the water and the boat started rocking and all the disciples were scared. And where was Jesus? Y'all remember? He was asleep. He was chilling. Man, there ain't nothing like a good nap and then something wake you up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I can only imagine Jesus looking at those disciples like I look like at my kids at 5.30 on Saturday morning after they'd been crying about getting up at 6.30 every weekday. But my goodness, magically 5.15, they up and making noise on a Saturday. I'm sorry, that wasn't what y'all came to hear. But y'all know what I'm talking about? Somebody, I'm looking around. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. Oh, you can get up now, right? I imagine Jesus, I mean, it doesn't say that he was perturbed, but I'm just speculating that if I were Jesus, I could imagine in his, he, he was a little perturbed and he, he went and he, we know he calmed the storm. But remember what he said to the disciples? He said, why are y'all coming to me, O ye of little faith? Remember, if you have little faith, you end up, you know, crying and, and worried about a storm that Jesus said you don't have to worry about, right? 
So we don't want little faith. And remember, just even before this, you go a couple of chapters over, Jesus just preached the greatest sermon known to man recorded in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount. Y'all remember that? And he was preaching and he was telling people that, you know, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about where you're going to sleep. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. That's when he talks about, you know, listen, if, if I can take care of the, the birds, then I'm going to, if my eye's on the sparrow, he's going to take care of you much more. Y'all remember that? And you know what he said after that? He said, why do you have no faith? So people who worry about what is going to happen and get into that situation, they're those who have little to no faith. But we want to be people, one more time, of what? Great faith. You see, now the same Jesus who says, you have no faith and you have little faith, he's looking at this guy and says, you have great faith. So what is it that this guy has that the rest of them don't? Well, whatever it is, I won't. Amen? So let's talk about this and show, I'm going to show you just seven ways, okay? I told you I'm going to be a good steward of your time. Seven ways that we can consider this faith great. Because great's kind of a generic adjective. We can just say great. I say great all the time. And, and most of the time, I don't really mean great. It's just a good word to use to kind of get the conversation over with, especially if I'm on the phone or if it's somebody is telling me something I really don't care about. Anybody want to be honest with me on that? Okay, you can leave me alone. They're like, oh, do you don't believe what happened? Well, great, you know. <laughs> Y'all ever be like that sometimes? It's like, great. I actually, when my, my first year teaching, I had a student, I remember that she would, she started kind of, she picked up on it real quick and started mocking me with it because when they, the kids would be trying to tell me something that happened, I'd be, okay, great. I'd try to move the class along, move back on. Okay, great. Okay, great. And so she started writing that on all of her papers. Hey, Mr. Robbins, okay, great. Okay, great. Okay, great. That became her thing. The two years I was at the school that she was at, she just kept, okay, great. And sometimes I think we look at that word great and we kind of treat it sort of nonchalantly like that, correct? But Jesus isn't using it nonchalantly here. He's describing a faith that's moved him and has called him to marvel. What is it about this man's faith that caused him? Let's get into it. Here's the first thing I want sort to of, sort of imply, the fact that this faith was great because of who he was. And what I mean by who he was is who this man was. This was a Roman centurion. Everybody understand that? You see, this was a member of the Roman army. Now, first of all, the fact that he was a centurion. Let's look at that and make sure we understand this. The fact he's a centurion, this means that he was a bad dude. Y'all understand? Centurions wasn't just a, a rank that somebody could file or get out of a, a you know a crackerjack box or something. It wasn't something you just you know sat behind a desk a few years and eventually because of seniority you got the title. Does that make sense? If you were a centurion, that means that you were a bad dude that you had shown impeccable skill on the battlefield. That meant that you were you were skilled enough in the martial arts that you could go hand in hand combat with somebody and you could take them out. It meant that you had done something heroic or something brave on the battlefield and you had slaughtered people on the battlefield. Does this make sense? The centurion's not not just somebody you would throw. This is somebody who had shown some bravery, even to the point that the centurions who would be over legions uh, or, or centuries, I should say, that's why it was called a centurion. They were over centuries who would be who would then compose legions of soldiers. When these people were were they were positioned on the front line. Does that make sense? When they were put out to go out in battle in the formation, the centurion had to be on the front line. So they were somebody who was considered important. They were somebody who was considered brave. Uh, they had to be paid well and taken care of. A lot of people, if you study it, and I'm trying to go too deep in the weeds here, but if you study it, a lot of people liken the Roman centurions to the medieval knights. Anybody ever studied medieval knights? Uh, um, that's one of the, the nerdy periods I like to look at. But uh, if you ever study medieval knights in the Middle Ages of England, you know, the, the, the knights were not just brave in battle, but they were also considered chivalrous. Y'all ever heard that term? That meant that they were of high character. That meant that they were or somebody who, who was respected, who knew how to treat people. So again, this wasn't just a, a bad dude who was a jerk. This was somebody who had high character and high military skill. Everybody with me? If you are, say yeah. So he's a centurion, so he has a lot of skill. If he wanted to be and think a lot of himself, he could. Or we would expect him to and say, okay, I could see that because this is someone of high valor, high esteem, high talent. 
But he's also, again, I said Roman, and he is occupying this territory of the Jews. So even within himself, though he's a good person, though he's someone of high character, though he's someone who has shown himself to be of high skill on the battlefield, he's also somebody who literally represents the very bondage of the Jewish people. Does that make sense? The Jewish people see him, and every time they see him, they think, why are you here? Why are we under your control? It's just an image of the bondage. It's, it's a representation of the bondage. And then you take up the fact that he's coming to Jesus, who Jesus was called the king of the... Y'all with me? Think about the fact that you have the gall to come up to the king of the Jews when you're a Roman soldier who represents the very people who, are, who have them under your control and are oppressing them, and you're willing to say, hey, I need you to help me. You see why his faith is great now? You see, a lot of times we, we think and like to say we have faith and we believe, but then if we get into a situation where we actually have to humble ourselves and we actually have to go into to a situation where we may have to not look the part, we have to sort of put ourselves on our face and admit that we need help, that's when your faith can be the greatest. Is this making sense? Think about it. How would his faith grow so great if he had not believed all the that he heard of the truth concerning Jesus. What would, the, what would Paul eventually write? Faith comes by, y'all remember? Hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Our faith grows when we hear the Word of God. So he had begun to hear the people there in Israel talk about this man Jesus and the greatness of Jesus and the power that he was doing. And he had to begin to believe it in order for his faith to grow. Amen? Let me tell you something, and I don't want to go to preaching. This is supposed to be Wednesday teaching, so I'll try to keep it, you know, tame. Is that okay? But I need you to understand something real quick. In order for you to experience your, your faith at a great level, you have to be willing to, to allow God to break you down to your lowest point. There's going to come a point for in order for God's strength to be magnified, you have to believe and trust that He's going to do what He said He would do, even if you don't really see the evidence of it in that moment. This is, this is going to get hard. But great faith is often fostered in the midst of the greatest difficulties we have. It wouldn't take a, I wouldn't need great faith if everything in my life was always easy. Does this make sense? If I could figure out everything in my life with my own intellect and my own ability and my own strength and my own, you know, everything, if I could just do it all and everything was just great and, and, and rainbows and cupcakes and I never had any hardships and I never had any heartaches and I never had to go through any trial or tribulation or test, then I wouldn't need great faith because everything would be great. For that reason... The Lord will allow things to come into your life. Now, I'm not telling you every bad thing comes from the Lord, and I don't want to mess with the The enemy will put things in your... I believe all those things happen. Does that make sense? But I believe the Lord allows us to, to endure things. He doesn't just fix everything. He doesn't just remove everything immediately when we want it from our life. And why? Because He wants us to build great faith. And that great faith will only come when we have to endure and we have to go through some of the hard things in our lives. Does this make sense? Sometimes when it takes us getting to a point when there is literally nothing we can do. I know it becomes painful. I talk with people who, who are facing medical challenges and they, they, uh, they, they say, Pastor Bradley, we've reached the place where there's nothing else they can do. I know that can be devastating. But an honest answer that I don't mean as preacherese, I just mean as truth, then that just means that we can truly, fully rely on God. That means those are the moments where we have nowhere else to turn. That's where God can show up the greatest. Amen? That's where our faith can grow. All right, God, I need you to do this now because there's nothing else. There's nowhere else to turn. It can be a medical situation, sometimes in family situations or, or crises or conflict, and you've got to the point where I've done all I can do. I don't know where else to turn. Great. Now's the time where our faith can say, I believe, God, you're going to do it because I can't. Is this okay? 
The centurion had to get to the point where I'm willing to go talk to that king of the Jews who I know within just the lineage of the Jews hates me, but I'm willing to go and take this stand at this moment because there's nowhere else to go. That's a sign that his faith has been made great. When you get to the point where you're literally willing to say, I can't rely on my own strength and ability, my own pocketbook, my own talent, and I'm not telling you we don't do anything, but once we've done all we can do, there comes a point we have to stand. And when you get to the moment where you can stand and rely on the Lord, that's when your faith can show up the greatest. If your faith would grow exceedingly, it has to be exercised abundantly. Let me say that again. Make sure you understand this. If you want to have faith that shows up and can be used exceedingly, if you want that great faith, it has to be exercised. I mean, let's be honest. If I, you know, you can look at me and tell that it wasn't high on the value list. But let's say that I looked at the front of those magazines here as they're getting ready to summer and it's like, man, I really need a killer beach bod. I'm going to just, you know, guess what? It's great to want that, right? I mean, you know, hey, I guess. I mean, great to want it. I can desire. I want it all I want to, man. I can think about it all the time. I could, you know, even, I could even make a plan on how it's going to happen. But until I actually go through and start exercising and putting in work that, you know, over the course of time, is that ever going to happen? In other words, I hate to burst anyone's bubble, but I mean, you know, there's not a, like a divine healing or anybody that will lay hands on you and your body magically look like that. I wish there was. They'd probably make a killing. Anyway, but... Nonetheless, in in any of my theological studies or or time in the church, that doesn't exist. Does that make sense? The same way with your faith. If your faith is going to build, then it's going to have to go through tests where it builds. And so for that to happen, you may have to endure a little bit of hardship. Does this make sense? I know I started off excited. Some of you already are like, ooh, I don't like this. This isn't real fun. But, but, but to, to have great faith, we have to be willing to humble ourselves and go after those things that we know are beyond us. We have to admit that we can't solve it all. So if you think about who he was, this Roman centurion, his faith was great that he was willing to go to the king of the Jews. Here's the second way that you look at the fact that it's great. Think about the occasion that he is deciding to go to Jesus. We've talked about who he was, but think about the occasion, the time, the reason he's going to Jesus He's going to Jesus because who was sick? Do you remember? Go back to uh, to verse 6. It says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed. Now, I just talked about the fact that this man is mighty. He has talent. He has prestige. People like him. He has everything that someone would want in life, right? You would think... And he's willing to risk it all. He's willing to go out on this limb. He's willing to humble himself in great faith. But he's not going to pray for himself. Hmm. This is where it gets hard. He's not going because it's, it's himself that's standing in the need of prayer. Listen, you know, we, 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 we talk a lot about intercessory prayer and things of that nature, but, but, but I need you to understand, a lot of times when we go to prayer, the natural place we go to pray, I'm the same way, if we're being honest, naturally, what, the first thing we're going to do is what? We're going to bow down before the Lord and begin unloading everything that's going on with us. Right? Maybe just me, I don't know. First thing we want to do is we want to begin to unload. God, I need you to tell me with this. God, I need you to touch this. God, this is my problem. God, I need... Is there anything wrong with praying for yourself? No, I hope that's a part of your personal prayer time. But then there's something that happens, though, that changes to a different level when we decide, I'm not just going to sit here and pray for myself. I'm going to call out someone else's name in prayer. In that moment, you begin to stand in the gap for those people. And guess what? That makes your faith great. In this particular moment, Jesus, I believe, was marveled because the centurion didn't say, I need you to do this for me. He said, I need to do this for His servant. And forgive me if you think I'm going a little too, but I want you to get this. It's not even His wife. It's not even His kids. Does this make sense? It's a, let's, let's be honest, it's a slave, a servant. 
Someone that in that culture and in his mind was, was mere property. Does that make sense? Yet he was willing to go to God on behalf of someone who no one else thought was worthy. Do y'all see the power of this? Already, this is an image. Jesus, is through this encounter, is going to illustrate the fact that He is willing to reach out and touch even the people who are marginalized. Amen? Even the people that society says, oh, there's no hope. Even the ones who society says, oh, they're too far gone. Even the people who society says they're unworthy of, of being in the, the presence of Christ. And even the people who, let's be real, society may point out and say, well, there's no use. We might as well just throw them out. We're tired of them. We're tired of trying to, there, no, there's no change going to happen there. I'm so glad that Jesus looks at us and He doesn't look at us and say, there's nothing I can do with them. He looks at us and sees what we can be. Amen? I don't know about you. I wouldn't be standing here today if that weren't the case. The occasion. His slave was sick, yet he believed that Christ's compassion was deep enough and broad enough to reach the poor and the ignorant. I'm here to tell you something. We can't reach our world if we don't believe Jesus can save it. We can't reach the people who God has put in our lives if we think that they can't be saved. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that, that, that's common sense, but how many times do we act that way? Man, I'm ready to go minister and I'm ready to go, but I'm only going to do it to this type of person. I can't handle that type of person. Or I can only do it if I'm getting paid this much amount and not that much amount. I can only do it if it's in this type of uh, beautiful, nice facility, not in something that's going to be inconvenient. Does this make sense? So many times, even within the, the body of Christ and in the church, sometimes we try to put parameters on who Jesus can touch. But the, 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 the great faith of this centurion was the fact that he knew that even though his servant was nothing more than a servant, Jesus was still willing and compassionate to heal him. Amen? He wasn't like the Pharisee who, you know, the Pharisees in Matthew 9... Later on, the next chapter, you can go and look at that. But Matthew 9, Jesus is going and eating with sinners, a very famous passage people like to talk about. He's hanging out with people who were not the elite, people who, who needed him. And the Pharisees, what did they say? What is he doing? Who is this guy who's willing to hang out with those people? The centurion didn't have that attitude. You see, great faith is always going to bring the small and the disputed things to Jesus. Great faith is going to be willing to allow Jesus to have everything. You mean, there's some things that we just say, well, I'm going to give everything to God, but I'm going to hold on to this. It's insignificant. He don't care about that. I'll just handle that in my own logic. No, but when we're willing to surrender it all, then our faith can be considered great, and Jesus and His Spirit will invade all of our lives, the innermost parts of our being. You see, little faith will never carry little troubles to God. It takes great faith to bring those small details of life to Him in prayer. Beware. Some people would have said you, you had no use. It was no right. Why would you come and beg for the healing of a slave? It was insignificant. But I'm here to tell you a lot of the things in our lives that we refuse to bring to Jesus because we think they're insignificant, eventually those seeds begin to grow root and they begin to grow and they begin to blossom. And before long, you have a full-fledged tree of sin in your life. You have a full-fledged tree of bitterness in your life. I can tell you very much how it starts. It starts with one part. I can give you this example, just as an example. Is this okay? One, you come to church one time, and you see that one person who looked at you, so you think, or you say, looked me right in the eyes and said nothing to me. None of y'all do that, but I'm just saying that can happen, right? How? I can't believe they looked right at me, didn't say anything to me, those jerks. That's that one little insignificant thing. Now, what should we immediately do? You need to get that to the Lord. I need Jesus, you need to help me. I don't know why I'm feeling this way. God, help me. Let me get over this. You're thinking, but, but, but that's not what we do. <laughs> we say, we kind of let it simmer, and then we continue to let it simmer. Then we continue to think about it when we go home. And then the next Sunday, we're kind of peering over, waiting for them to get again, and and it happened again, and then all of a sudden, oh, it happened again. They just don't like me. Just... 
Then we happen to come across somebody else who may have had a similar experience. Hey, what do you think of them? And all of a sudden, two of you are like, they don't ever talk to me. They ain't said nothing to me. They must not like me either. Oh, well, I just thought it was me. Okay, well, that confirms it. They're jerks. And all of a sudden, before we know it, we have done went from a very small, insignificant thing to we fostered bitterness and division within a body of Christ towards somebody who may have not even recognized what we were doing or may have been going through something to where their mind wasn't clear. Does this make sense? That's a small example. I could use many, but, but, but what happens is, is we don't handle the little things. They begin to take up root, and all of a sudden, before we know it, we're bitter and angry and upset at everything around us. Great faith doesn't allow small things to take root. Is this okay? Great faith says, I'm not going to, every little thing, I'm going to make sure to protect and get out because I want my life to be where it needs to be at all the times. Third thing, his faith was great, obviously, because of who he was, the centurion. It was great because of the occasion. He was willing to ask on behalf of a servant something small. But then think about the exact need that was mentioned, and this will show great faith. It says that his servant, look in that verse 6, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Now you've got to have great faith to bring a need that's this great to Jesus. So we talked about the fact of the small things and as far as the servant being small, but this wasn't a small need. Not only was he being tormented physically with the palsy, but he was, it says that he was dreadfully tormented, so his body and his soul and his spirit were completely being wrecked by this pestilence, by this disease. Y'all understand? And so here he is, he has the gall, he has the audacity to think that Jesus Christ can heal that servant. That is great faith. He was afflicted both in body and soul. He was a helpless incurable. And as far as human skill and power are concerned, there was nothing anyone could do. Y'all understand? But guess what? As I said earlier, when we get to a point when there's nothing else we can do, that's when God's power can surmount that. Amen? That's when God's power can show itself to be supreme. That's when God's power can show itself to, to, to manifest. Nothing is too hard for God. Amen? Great faith lays hold on the greatness of Christ. You can't have great faith if you don't understand and know and believe that you serve a great God. The power of Christ is sufficient for all of the emergencies of the believer. And I, don't, I know this can get taught and preached and we can get hyped up and people can misconstrue. And y'all know me, I don't ever want anyone to misconstrue. I have no problem with, 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 with medical professionals and using medical professionals. I have no problem with common sense. Does that make sense? But even in my own time, sometimes I, the Lord convicts me and says, how many times do you look toward the, the worldly ways to solve your issues before you call upon the name of the Lord? So while I have no problem, if there was an emergency, I would call 911 and I would use the power of, that we have here on this earth, but you best believe I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord first. Is this Okay. If I believe that I serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then I'm serving a God who has parted Red Seas and has uh, brought water out of rocks and who has delivered uh, people from the dead and who has delivered people who were in dens of lions and who allowed young boys to kill great and mighty giants just with His own power. Is anybody with me? I serve a Jesus that literally could speak the Word and people come back from the dead and who could touch people in their eyes and they become... They, they are able to see when they were blind and He could speak to people who were deaf and they could hear. We serve that type of God. And because I serve that type of God, I'm just crazy enough to believe that when I'm going through a circumstance I can't fix, I can call upon His name and He will answer and He will move on my behalf. That's the great faith I have tonight. 
Know that if you, if you have great faith, you're not scared of the problem. You're going to call upon the name of the Lord. And what I mean by not scared of the problem, not that you don't naturally feel things, you're not afraid to give that problem to Jesus because you think it's too large. I'm not afraid to pray for this because I know who I'm praying to. All right. Told you I'd calm down. So think about the third thing. He's great when you think of the need. This is a big need. But I want you to look at not even the need, but look at what he requested. The fourth thing. It was great if you think about the fact that he, he made this request. Go with me to the next verse, verse 7. So Jesus said to him again, I will come and I will heal him. And that should be enough, right? Jesus said he's going to come to the house. He's going to touch the servant as he did. We're going to have a miracle. It's great. But even this, this is that shows you his faith in verse 8. The centurion said, no, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. All you have to do is what? Speak a word. Now, I think, again, can we be real? Is this okay? I mean, I think if Jesus said He'd come to my house, I'd just let Him come to my house. That'd be good. They got what I prayed for. So it makes me wonder. He, he, he's showing and He is signifying the fact that, God, You're so powerful, I don't even need You to do that. He's admitting the fact and recognizing and He's honoring the power of the Word. Genesis 1 and 1, how did everything that we see come into existence? In the beginning it says God created the heaven and earth. How did He do it? How did He start it? He said, let there be light. He spoke a word. His word was so powerful that just Him speaking it brought everything we have into existence. That's powerful, isn't it? And guess what? Jesus, in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Jesus was the human embodiment of that Word that was spoken. And so even this centurion who even didn't come up into the Jewish tradition and even someone who was looked at and not liked and not popular because again, he represented the bondage they were under. Even he knew how to recognize the fact that all I need you to do is speak a word into my life and everything will be healed. He didn't need a visit. He wasn't extra. He wasn't bougie. You know what I mean? You know, some of us, we want a miracle, but we want a miracle to look a certain way, right? I mean, you know, I want a miracle, God, but make sure you do it in front of a bunch of people and make sure the cameras are just right and they have it, you know, on line so it can go viral. I want everybody to be able to see it and know. And, and I want you... I may be going too far, I'm sorry. But sometimes we have this, it's got to look a certain way. We, gotta, we want it to happen a certain way. We want to have some of the attention and the glory from the miracle ourselves, right? He says, no visits asked. But you know why He did? Because again, He trusted. You don't have to... Jesus, He was basically saying this. Jesus, you don't have to prove yourself by coming all the way to my house and being there physically. I know you're powerful enough that as long as you say it, that's enough for me. That's what I call great faith. People with great faith are, are those that, you know, I don't need to see the miracle before I believe. All I need to know is to have a word. All I need is the Lord to speak to me and give me that assurance that it's going to happen. And, and, and I'll, I'm going to walk forward and continue moving in my destiny just with the word. Amen? All of His desire will be met with the word only. And it's always so. Listen, great faith asks for no signs. That's powerful. You know, Jesus, you know, He even talked about the people who are always asking for signs. And, and I do believe that signs and wonders do follow the believer. I'm not, I'm not saying that the Lord isn't going to do miracles, but I want to show you where great faith is. I don't have to have the bright light shining down upon me, and I don't have to be knocked out in the floor for 45 minutes, and nothing wrong with those things. All I need is the Lord to say, Son, I've got you. I'm good. All I have to know is the Word says that He'll take care of me and I'm, I'm okay. When He said, I'll never see the righteous forsaken or God's seeds begging for bread, that was my cue to say, alright, if I'm in this thing, He's got me. When the Word said that by the, 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 the blood that Jesus shed and by His stripes that I'm healed, then when I get sick or when I'm facing something that may look like it's, it's going to be difficult or tragic, 
I just say, Jesus, you said you got me, and, you, and that's what I need. Don't get so caught up in the being a sign seeker to build your faith. Great faith says, even before the sign, you just say the word, and I know it's going to happen. Amen? He was satisfied with the promise alone, knowing that Jesus was faithful. Here's the fifth thing. It was great when you think about the request made, and it was great when you think about the argument that was said. The reason why he said this, he says, I'm not worthy you should come under my roof, but speak a word and my servant will be healed. Because in verse 9, I'm also a man who's under authority. He says, I understand what it means to be under authority. And I also understand what it means to have people who are under my authority. And when you have a system of authority like you do in the military, when someone who is above you gives a directive, what happens? You do it. Yeah, there's not, I mean, I know there's some military people in here who could attest to this more than I do. I just, there's usually not a lot of discussion, is it? Not a ton of debate, not a, well, sir, did you think about that? Typically, from what I, again, from what I understand, it's usually just, you say this, and then it's, it's, it's done, right? And so he's giving this argument and says, listen, I'm a man under authority. Notice that great faith is always humble. Now, when I'm talking about going and knowing that he could say a word, he's coming with humility. The problem we get in the body of Christ a lot of times in a lot of the movements, the faith, sort of faith movements that have arised over the last couple of decades, one of the problems I feel like in my, 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 my observation that it runs into is we, we've taught people how that they can just go in and demand what they want from God. Does that make sense? I mean, my, my, you know, here are my fathers and predecessors and people who, they, they, they call that kind of thing, name it, claim it, and blab it, grab it type things. That used to be the sort of the, the connotation of certain type of theologies that say, well, you just say it and it's going to happen. And what, or that derives from is a, a place where we have thrown out humility in going before God. God wants us to share and to speak our desires. I believe it. The Bible says He'll give us the desires of our heart. He says we have not because we ask not. Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. Knock and it'll be open. Seek and you'll find it, right? So I believe in going and all those things. I believe in the power of the Word, the power that, you know, life and death and the power of our tongue. But, but the Word constantly says those who will humble themselves and pray, those who go before the, 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 the throne boldly but with humility. Does that make sense? The centurion, he's coming up with a different idea, but he's not saying, Jesus, no, you're not coming into my house. Because I personally feel that would have shifted the atmosphere of the conversation, right? I mean, again, I, I, when I deal with my kids and when I've dealt with kids in my, my educational position and even in ministerial positions, man, there'd be times I'd be willing to, to listen and, and to work with a kid and maybe even help them out on something they want. But there's, there's a certain tone that if it's hit, automatically turns me off to anything they're saying. Y'all know what I mean? I'll tell I'll give you an example of few months ago I got a call from a student and, and ironically enough I wasn't the student's teacher I teach some online classes I taught some online classes past semester through EC but apparently my name got copied from one canvas to someone else's canvas and so some teacher was teaching a class at East Central online and they thought it was me but it wasn't me because I didn't know who this person was but I get a random phone call that I happen to answer on a Saturday and, and just the I say hello and the first thing why'd you give me that great literally just sounded like that Why'd you give me that grant? Now, I was taken aback. First of all, I don't know you. I tried to slow it down and say, who are you? What is going on? What? Come to find out, this was someone I didn't know. I wasn't their teacher. They just somehow got a hold of my information and thought I was their teacher. And they were really upset that they didn't feel they deserved whatever they made. But once I got them calmed down and, and held, you know, this, this person that I didn't know and comforted them say, you need to go contact someone else, I did say this. I couldn't let it go. <laughs> I said, if I was your teacher and you wanted me to reconsider and look at this again, a little bit of humility and respect will take you a long way. 
And I think when it comes to prayer sometimes, if you go to God and you're just like, God, I need you, you're going to do this. and you're... I think there comes a point where it becomes pride in the way. And the Word says pride comes before what? The fall. That's not great faith. Great faith isn't you being able to demand what you want for the Lord. You know, great faith isn't I'm going to get it right now. Great faith is you being willing to go humbly and say, God, I know you can do this and I believe you will. Amen? And so that's what happened. He says, great faith is humble. It sees so much grace and goodness in Jesus that the, the proud, boastful self is ashamed. You see, when we get in the true presence of Christ, all of that pride and boastfulness has to die. It can't stay there. And so he said, speak the word only and the demon and the disease will go as quickly as my servant obeys me. You see, great faith is the most childlike of all. It's just willing to believe. All you have to do is say it. I love that my kids are in a stage and they're still there for the most part and I hope we can continue it. But you know, my kids, they know if I say that we're going to do something, they know we're going to do it. Because if we don't, they're going to remind me that we're going to do it. Oh, we're going to do it. Remember, 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 right? That's how kids are. They just don't know any other way of, you said it, so it's going to happen. That's the childlike faith that our Father wants from us. God, you said it. Amen. You said it. If you said it, then that means you have to do it. It's got to happen. So here's the sixth thing. His faith was great when you think about the results. Jesus said in verse 10, He said when He heard it, He marveled. Again, this was so astounding to Him. The fact that Jesus... You realize Jesus had been spending time with Pharisees who knew the law backwards and forwards and had been in basically, let's call it this way, been in the church and knew how to do all the church things over and over and over again. They knew everything about God and the way that God had told them about the law. And he'd been hanging out with all these disciples, right? The people that he was, he was pouring into, that he was growing. They believed him enough that they were willing to leave their jobs and follow him around the countryside, right? Yet this centurion was the one who he says, I have never seen a greater faith than this. And so he says in the next verse, I say to you, many will come east and west. They'll sit down with Abraham Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12, the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you believed, so let it be done for you. And again, his servant was what? Healed that same hour. His simple but large-hearted faith was answered all at once. Because the Lord had saw that great faith and he believed, it was answered at once. And it was, God, guess what? It was answered to the full. He wasn't partially healed for a day. He didn't get better in a week. It says that he got better in the same hour. There was nothing left to be desired. I want you to understand that faith can become so great, we don't have to desire anything else. You know why, why it says that? What I mean by that is when our faith is so strong, we just know that we can be content and satisfied in everything that the Lord has for us. If it's for us, it's going to happen. Amen? We can get to a place where we're content, even if things seem to be tumultuous, and even if we're in hardships, and even if we're in storms and tribulations. Guess what? I can be content because God has me. I can be content even in, in struggles. I can be joyful even in a season of sorrow and pain. Because with Jesus, there's nothing left for me to desire. Nothing else on this earth can satisfy me like Him. So wonderfully gracious is our loving Lord that He never sends the hungry away empty. Amen? Here's the last thing. His faith was great when you think about that commendation given. Again, Jesus saying, I have not found a faith so great as this. You know, Jesus knows exactly the measure of faith that you have. What a precious thing it is in His sight. He loves to be trusted. He loves to be trusted. You know what? I think about my 
parenthood journey at this point, and my kids, I can honestly say the most fulfilling moments are when I tell my kids something, maybe it's something I know about. Joseph just had a birthday. Both my kids actually had a birthday. My youngest one's tomorrow. But we had a birthday celebration, and one of his gifts is, is I'm taking him somewhere here in a couple of weeks. That's always dangerous because I'm like, oh, well, you know, he's going to be disappointed. But no, it was something, you know, I'm, well, as you know, me and him, I'm, I'm taking him to a wrestling show. So, that, I mean, he was excited. He was ready to do it. But there's nothing more thrilling when I see the excitement, when I say, we're going to do this. And he begins to make plans and he begins to make definitive statements and he begins to get excited and says, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. We're going to do Why? Because he trusts that I'm not going to fall through. I'm not going to chicken out and say, I really don't want to drive all that way. Oh, I decided I'd sell those, son, and, and we could buy something else. We'll just watch it on TV. That makes sense. He trusts his father that his father's going to carry out his word. To the point where there's no doubt. You can talk to him now. He can tell you when we're going, what we're going to see, and what we're going to do. There's no doubt in his mind. Does this make sense? He has great faith that he and I are going to go and we're going to have a good time at that event. What if we could just look at our Father and know that whatever we're going through, whatever we're asking for Him and believing for Him to do in our lives, we don't have to hope and wish per se alone. We can have faith in believing and knowing. That no matter what we face, God is going to carry us through that trial. The writer of Hebrews said, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So the best thing that we can do, if we want our lives to be a life that reflects His glory, if we want to live a life that's pleasing to Him, that He's happy with, that He finds acceptable, it's not, all, it's not only in just how emotional we are in a worship service or time and how much energy we put into, all those things are great. It's not merely about how many hours a week I could read the Bible and how much time I must bow down on my knees and, and pray in a certain manner. And all those disciplines are good. You can fast for the rest of the year. And I mean, that may be good. I would check with your doctor if you're going to go that long. And all those things are good and there's powerful in it. Power in it. I don't want you to... Hear, but if you want to live a life that's pleasing to God, you can't please Him without faith. Without simply trusting and believing He'll do what He said He would do. You stand with me tonight? If you'll bow with me for just a moment. I'm going to ask you to listen to the Holy Spirit as Holy Spirit is here. We're out a little bit early. If you can just give me a few minutes. There may be somebody I'm talking to tonight that you say, Pastor Bradley, I've, I've been in this thing for a while. I've, I know what the Word says. I'm a student of the Word. I believe in the Lord. I love the Lord. I've given Him my life. I've declared Him to be the Lord of my life. And, but maybe, just maybe, I'm, I'm coming across some situations that I feel like my faith is beginning to waver. I'm allowed the voice of the enemy to come into my ear and begin to Tell me that the people I thought were for me are no longer for me. There's voices that are coming into my ear telling me that maybe this, this battle is, is, is that, that, that I thought was going to be miraculously fixed. Maybe it's just I'm just destined to, to, to not have victory. Maybe I'm destined to deal with this addiction the rest of my life. Maybe I'm destined to deal with this illness the rest of my life. Maybe all of that stuff is good, but it's just not for me. Listen, here's what I'm, I, I want to encourage you in the Lord tonight. I want you to be encouraged tonight, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to remind you who He is. As we pray, I want you to ask the Lord to build your faith. You know, Jesus asked the man in the Bible that if he believed... And he responded, Lord, I do believe, but I want you to help my unbelief. Maybe there's areas in your life that, if you were to be honest, that I just, I, the enemy has convinced me to give up on those desires, on those wishes, on their prayers. 
I'm here to tell you that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but if God said it and He's promised it, His Word doesn't come back void. It's going to come to pass in the due season. Don't give up faith. As we pray tonight, and if this is you, I just want you to lift your hands to heaven. I want you to invite the Lord into your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to begin to remind you of those things that He's done in your life, where He's brought you from, and begin to encourage you to have the faith, the great faith, to stand against the enemies that are facing you. Father, today, I love you so much for who you are. I thank you for your many blessings. I thank you for allowing us to come together. I thank you for allowing us to be in this room, in this church, in this, this room with believers that we can draw strength from. Father, today, the enemy seeks to, to kill and to destroy, and he seeks to do that by causing doubt, by causing stress and worry. He does that by trying to cause us to waver in our faith. The enemy will lie and say that those promises that were made were not true. He'll lie and tell us that these battles and storms we're facing are going to take us out. He'll lie and say there's no use and we're wasting our energy. But Father, today we rebuke those lies in the name of Jesus. Father, today we listen to the voice of truth. The voice that says, God, that you will be with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us, even to the ends of the earth. Father, we stand upon your word and we ask you, Father, to help us to build a great faith. Father, let us not lean on our own understanding, but acknowledge you as our way maker. Acknowledge you as our provider. Acknowledge you as our comforter. Acknowledge that you, Father, are the way to victory. Father, it's not within our own strength and our own might and our own power, but it's by your Spirit. So Father, we lean in. Give us faith. Help us to trust and believe that you would say what you have said you would do. Father, to anyone in this place, God, who the enemy is beating, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you wrap your arms around them. Let them leave here refreshed and encouraged, knowing that this enemy is this this battle, God, this war is not theirs, but it's yours. I pray that your hand be upon us. Let us be victors as we leave this place and no longer victims. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Glad that you were here. We'll see you Sunday. Go give the devil fits.